This is Jeff Steitzer, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Double kill, triple kill, overkill, killing spree, killing frenzy, Kilimanjaro, kill tacular, kill apocalypse, slayer, mmm, brains. <laughs> Welcome one, welcome all to episode 135 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Monday, June 13th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we're looking back at some of the most memorable announcements from both Summer Games Fest and, of course, the Xbox and Bethesda Showcase. It was awesome. After that, we'll be sitting down with Yannick Belzio of Tribute Games to discuss Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. It's a packed episode, and as always, I hope you enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are extended to two old hats, friends of the show and partners in crime, of course, Mr. Badbit of the Trophy Room and Ainsley Bowden of the BitCast. You've heard their names many times during the words of kindness, and that's because they consistently have a positive impact on my gaming life. This past week, Joseph Moran of the Trophy Room made an appearance on IGN's podcast Beyond, his second, and we know how cool that can be. Uh, But more than that, we as a cast co-op crew live streamed our reactions to the xbox bethesda showcase it was hilarious awkward funny we had a good old time behind the scenes and uh, you can find that on season gaming's youtube channel we took the place of the bitcast for sunday uh, while we reacted and in in general it was just a good time Uh, all the more interesting was how down on the show we were in the moment and then our conversations after the fact that why we were Uh, We think kind of overly harsh and looking at the wrong things and and focused on the wrong stuff. Uh, And the conversations that came after the fact were just the coolest and really insightful and fun. And I think uh, that's why I enjoy those two guys so much. And I can always point you to their content. And in truth, uh, they both have bigger shows than XEP than I do here. And they continue to lift me up and do whatever they can to help me. And that's really cool as well. I'm a big fan of the Rising Tides Lift All Boats category uh, of support for people, and they consistently demonstrate that with very little thought to themselves. So cheers to them. Check it out if you haven't already, because uh, I, I really think you'll enjoy it for sure. And it's some good insight into our mindset then versus my mindset here in this episode where I've, I've slept on the showcase and really had uh, time to process kind of the weight of some of the, the outcomes uh, so it's really cool. I think you'll have a cool comparison point there if you're interested. 
Some quick housekeeping here. Two copies of Zombo and Buster Advance were given away this past week from people dropping their gamer tags into the YouTube comments. Cheers to Anubis and Josh Davis both. Hope you guys enjoy your Plants vs. Zombie-like game. It's a really fun one. I enjoy it. Uh, I've got several gift cards to give away over the next few weeks as well. Make sure you review the show over on iTunes or Spotify and you screen capped it, screenshot it, uh, because when I send out for for your chance to enter into that uh, you'll be able to to send me that screenshot and that'll enter you in uh, to a twenty dollar giveaway for an xbox gift card so make sure you review the show over on itunes spotify wherever it is uh, and we'll make sure we can't get you guys some some contest goodness well that's it for housekeeping let's rock on to some serious gaming news well, of course, we have the Xbox Bethesda Showcase and Summer Game Fest to discuss. However, two things made headlines in the Xbox ecosystem prior to those showcases. The first of which was Xbox giving updates uh, on their direction going forward over the next year or so. They put this out over on their uh, Xbox Wire, which is their news service. Uh, and it essentially to discussed a partnership between Microsoft Xbox specifically, and Samsung's 2022 smart TVs and beyond. In short, there is an app now on Samsung TVs that will let you access your uh, Xbox Game Pass library and cloud stream them to your device. A lot of people were checking this one out through the course of Summer Game Fest and Bethesda Showcase Week at different media events, and the reception seems very positive. You don't need an Xbox. You just use your 2022 Samsung TV and a controller of your choice. You log in and you're playing your games. That's pretty darn cool. The The cloud streaming process has gotten far smoother than it was a year and a half, two years ago. Even in that short bit of time, the fidelity of the, the images has gotten better. The latency has continued to improve. And now if you have one of the newer Samsung smart TVs, you're just able to uh, open up that game streaming app and have a go. You can play games like Fortnite without your Game Pass subscription, and you can play games within your Game Pass Ultimate subscription just by logging in. That is a huge win and one of many steps that Microsoft seems to be making to enter into different markets. When we get to their showcase, we'll see how they're working very hard to enter into different Asian markets outside of North America and Europe. And I think this is a big step towards that. One of the neatest things about the idea of cloud streaming is just the ease of access and how easily it will be uh, for you to you know, be at a friend's house and just log in. You don't need to take your Xbox with you one place or another. This past weekend, I took my Xbox Series S to a friend's house, and it was really easy to do. But to not even have to worry about that and just take a controller makes it that much easier to game with your friends. So I think this is a very big move, and it's going to fly pretty far under the radar in the wake of game announcements, as it should. I think technology announcements are awesome, but you know we're here for games. And so I just wanted to point your eyes to it if you missed it pretty darn cool over there. The second piece of news that came out prior to the showcases was Matt Booty in a discussion about Activision Blizzard. Now, remember that Matt Booty is one of the heads of Xbox uh, and discussing kind of getting their games into multiple places. One of the things that he talked about regarding Activision, Bl Activision Blizzard is that once the deal goes through, you can expect select brand new titles to be exclusive, but several others to stay multi-platform. Microsoft is interested in keeping communities together and not interested in breaking them apart. I think we can interpret this to mean that certain games like Call of Duty 
are going to stay multi-platform. And of course, you would want that. I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want that. In much the way that PlayStation has gotten a lot of perks in the Call of Duty space, I think this is how Microsoft will approach that franchise going forward. Once the deal goes through and marketing uh, agreements for X amount of time are done, you'll see those perks switch over to the Xbox community. But it makes sense that you would want certain or certain titles to be multi-platform and certain titles to be exclusive. And I think that's common sense stuff that we would uh, expect this things that we've discussed on this show and on others but for matt booty to come out and say it is a positive and they are also interested in getting as many activision blizzard titles as possible into game pass as soon as possible when we get to the discussions of the xbox bethesda showcase you'll see a continued strengthening between activision blizzard uh as 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 a company and microsoft going forward even without that deal being done yet uh, and you can expect that deal to be done roughly a year from now. June 2023 is what many uh, experts kind of in that area are predicting. Not YouTube uh, insiders per se, but people with genuine legal knowledge are are stating that they believe it will be done around June 2023. So that'll be interesting to, to note uh, once it is finalized. But the fact that they're building that relationship now, I think, points it in the right direction. I think this deal is going through and we can just go ahead and accept that. Now. On to Summer Game Fest. Summer Game Fest, of course, key three, Jeff Keighley's showcase. They they came out ahead of time and said, temper your expectations. We've got some good stuff for you. We hope you enjoy it. And honestly, I was very impressed with the Summer Game Fest showcase. I took notes throughout, as I did for the Xbox Bethesda showcase, and I jotted down quite a few titles that I was interested in, not the least of which was seeing gameplay for Street Fighter VI. I love the fact that this game is back and returning to the Xbox consoles, but the gameplay looks genuinely wonderful, as does Callisto Protocol. Really excited for this from the Dead Space developers of yore. Uh, this game looks visceral and gross, and I'm stoked for it. Really excited that uh, with the Modern Warfare 2 gameplay. I thought that looked really good. Uh, I've, heard, I've seen mixed reactions to it, and I think that's a general confusion as to just what this game is. We had a Modern Warfare 2 remaster a few years ago, but that's not what this is. There's branding confusion, and it's really unclear uh, who Activision is trying to please here. You know, are they trying to please the multiplayer people, the single player people? Bottom line, though, I thought the game looked great, and I was very encouraged by what I saw. I do want to note also that in previous discussions, specifically related to Call of Duty Vanguard, I told you I was abstaining from all Activision titles until they kind of handled the, a lot of the issues within. With the direction of, of recent things and Bobby Kotick and and how Activision is and Microsoft specifically are responding to different things like unionization, I think I'm a bit more okay purchasing an Activision title. Uh, I think at this point, anyhow, knowing that they are, the deal is likely to go through with Xbox and seeing Xbox be supportive of unionization, uh, hearing some of the things I've heard from people that work within Activision, I'm more likely to pick up an Activision title uh, and to interest me this year with Modern Warfare 2 and uh, Diablo 4, although that's a with calendar, not a calendar year, but you know within 12 months of now. Um, I, I think I'm a little more okay with it. I think I am, you know, always open to changing my mind, for, of course. But I, I left the Summer Game Fest showcase pleased with Modern Warfare 2 and thinking, you know what, I do want to play that, and I think I'm okay playing that. So, you know, take that for what you will. 
I was also impressed with the game Witchfire, which unfortunately looks like it's an epic exclusive, but I really hope that game comes to consoles. It looks super dope. Uh, Shredder's Revenge was spotlighted and information came out about Shredder's Revenge, given that Casey Jones is now a sixth playable character. And after you beat the game, you can play as Casey Jones. And that game is now six player co-op local and online. That's super cool. That's super cool. I can tell you right now, I have been playing Shredder's Revenge. I'm not allowed to tell you anything more than that until the next episode, unfortunately. But if you stick around later in the episode, you can hear an interview with Yannick Belzil narrative designer for the game uh, and we go in depth on a lot of, of, of cool stuff and I think uh, you guys are going to be pleased once you do get your hands on it and that of course is in Game Pass uh, and then a game called Fort Solace was showcased in Summer Game Fest and I thought that was really impressive looking and then they did a lot of Troy Baker time which I think we're kind of over Troy Baker at this point which sucks because he's very talented but he's also stepped in some poop a few times over with NFTs and uh, you can hate or you can create and and uh, a bit of a pretentious pretentious approach in some cases, and I wonder if that's not just an outside-looking-in perspective. Uh, there have been plenty of times where I've really enjoyed interviews with him. I've really enjoyed his work in a lot of places. I'm just curious to know where it goes. But we saw a lot of Troy Baker during Summer Game Fest through The Last of Us coverage and whatnot. Um, and then, of course, we saw Outriders and Gotham Knights, two games I am excited for despite some trepidation that many people around the interwebs have. Cuphead got some spotlight there with its delicious last course. Bottom line, I thought Jeff Keighley did a great job with Summer Game Fest. I left very excited for quite a few games. I made my lists, and I, I checked them twice. And there's a lot that I want to play from Summer Game Fest. So cheers to to Jeff Keighley. Key 3 seemed to have been a success. Um, and I think it's important that the Xbox community recognize that. I didn't see a ton of Xbox-specific announcements there. But still... I mean, that's that's it's, it's meant to be a multi-platform and, and showcase other uh, things. And, and Keeley's always had a good, strong relationship with PlayStation. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. So, all right, that was it for Summer Game Fest. Let's switch gears. Well, if I was fast and furious through the Summer Game Fest announcements, expect me to slow down just a bit for the Xbox Bethesda showcase. There was a lot to get through through here, and uh, I had very mixed feelings after watching this show uh, initially and live reacting with Ainsley Bowden and Joseph Moran uh, over on Season Gaming's YouTube channel. It was a fun cast co-op episode, but man, at the end of the show, a 95-minute presentation at first, I was very lukewarm on it, and I'm really glad that I slept on it and really thought about it and went back and looked at some of the the trailers in 4K and, and processed and listened to some other discussions before recording this episode of XEP. I think you would have gotten a very different uh, calculation of responses if I had recorded yesterday prior to today and really having processed my stuff because I really was impressed and pleased with the Xbox Bethesda showcase, but I wasn't pleased with it for me. And in hindsight, I'm really glad that I took the time to, to kind of go through it. And I'm glad I was able to take you guys on that journey for anyone that's kind of checked out both sets of reactions and here. Um, the show contains some very impressive announcements that I think are both extremely good for Xbox and the future of gaming. And my trepidation came from my personal choice of games rather than the show itself being a letdown. My personal choice and interest of games wasn't really on display in this particular showcase. This 
slew of games wasn't really for me. In fact, last year's slew of games was a bit more for me in that it discussed a lot more Halo, a lot more Forza, and it just wasn't designed to be for Luke lore. But I am able to take a step back and look and say, that you know what, there's a lot here for a lot of different people, and I think they really did a good job with the messaging overall and what they were trying to do. Everything in the Xbox Bethesda showcase has a targeted launch of within 12 months of June 12th, meaning that within a year of the showcase, they're expecting 30 plus titles to come out uh, and, and they showcase gameplay for a ton of them. That's pretty darn cool. They, I, I said on a few prediction shows that I expected them to focus on the next 12 to 18 months and they limited that to just 12 months and they said, this is what you're going to play in the next year on your Xbox console, with your Game Pass subscription, on your PC, wherever it is, if you've got Xbox, this is what you're going to play in the next 12 months. And for the most part, I think they really did a great job of that. It might have hindered them here and there in that we didn't get some of the hype that you might get from seeing, you know, Avowed or Indiana Jones or uh, Fable, but we now have a very focused sense of where Xbox is going in the next calendar year and fiscal year. I don't actually know which one I'm trying to say there. The next 12 months, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't know, calendar, fiscal, whatever. There was some huge news in this thing. 30 plus titles were showcased, 30 of which are in the next 12 months. Some of the biggest things I want to talk about, and then we'll go to individual titles. They made a big old partnership with Riot Games, and I was impressed. I knew that it was huge, but it wasn't until I researched it to find out just how big a deal this is. Riot Games has now partnered with Xbox and specifically Xbox Game Pass to bring Riot's biggest titles to the Xbox Game Pass platform. League of Legends on PC, League of Legends Wild Rift on mobile, League of Legends, or sorry, Legends of Runeterra, PC and mobile with extra content unlocked, Team Fight Tactics for PC and mobile with content unlocked, and Valorant with, for PC with content unlocked. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. The League of Legends community is just absolutely insane. And in League of Legends proper, there are over 160 champions that you can play as. Play as, And at the moment, they rotate which ones are free. Otherwise, you have to grind really hard to unlock these champions uh, at any given point or buy them. With Game Pass, all 160 plus champions are unlocked. That is stunning insane wild the community for for league of legends is absolutely just disgustingly large but it's not a community that i'm overly familiar with and so i had to really reach out and talk to different people to find out the impact of this and it's absolutely monstrous how huge it is that uh, league of legends players can just sign up for game pass and then immediately unlock all 160 champions and have them all available to them i have to think that's going to change the meta of league of legends which is like the most watched esport in the world i believe now that's just stunning and the fact that 80 plus champions in the mobile version called wild rift are going to be granted day one access if you're on game pass equally wild this is getting an entirely new set of gamers into the game pass ecosystem simply by way of their favorite game of league of legends and then from there, they're likely to branch in and see what else is on offer. And that's how you build a player base. We know that League of Legends is huge worldwide, all the more big in the different Asian markets, Japan, South Korea, etc. 
I have to think that this is going to help Xbox gain a huge foothold of mindshare in a, a part of the world where they've historically struggled. We've had multiple conversations with industry veterans that have noted Xbox's frustrations in Japan. And it seems to me that via xCloud and via Game Pass, they've been trying to attack Asia from a different way, trying to get in via India, with it, which has a huge number of players to get in via South Korea with brilliant internet infrastructure, to get in via into Japan by way of not having Blue Dragon or JRPGs that are built from the ground up, but by partnering with Yakuza and different other titles. This Riot Games partnership is likely to do wonders for getting Xbox in more people's hands. And that is overall not just good for Xbox as a brand, but good for gaming overall. Valorant is a PC title that a lot of people have really uh, found to be pretty darn impressive and com com competitive with Counter-Strike. Now you're getting more players in there. That's really cool. Uh, I think this is a huge announcement that, again, as I kind of stated earlier, this isn't really for me. I'm not a League of Legends player. I don't play on my PC. I don't really game on mobile very much. But this is a big deal. And so if you're an Xbox gamer and you're not sure why it is, I hope I was able to help you shed light a little bit. Of course, uh, I would encourage you to go check out more of it because it's it's pretty darn impressive. But for Riot and Xbox to be partnering up, that is an industry-shifting relationship and a powerful one at that. Now, not just partnering with Riot were big deals, but also the Blizzard connection continues to strengthen. It was on Xbox's stage that Overwatch 2 was announced to be arriving in October and going free-to-play. That's a big deal. Going free-to-play for Overwatch 2. Overwatch 2, this weird title where no one's quite sure uh, what its purpose is and what it's meant to do. Is it the original uh, Overwatch? Is it a reskin? What does it mean? Bottom line, you don't have to buy it to find out. And they showcased this on Xbox's stage. Again, another big deal. They did the same thing with Diablo 4. On the Xbox stage, they announced that Diablo 4 will launch in 2023. It'll be available on PC, Xbox Series sets of devices, and Xbox One. Big deal. It's also going to have cross-play and cross-progression for all platforms. Uh, Diablo 4 also coming to PlayStation, just in case that wasn't clear. Uh, but they don't really show that on the Xbox stage, right? I was really impressed with this one because even with the deal not being done, the marketing, and they're tying it up with Xbox. That's a That's a... A smart move overall for both companies, I think. And Diablo 4, not happening in 2022 like many people had hoped, but everything they showed, they showed the new Necromancer, they showed a lot of gameplay uh, of Diablo 4. It looks good. And for me, a casual Diablo player, next to some of my good friends like Kevin Butler, who is diehard Diablo, and Joseph and Ains, who are diehard Diablo, they were ecstatic. They thought everything looked incredible. I was impressed from a, from a casual standpoint that's really dope, okay? For that to be happening in 2023 and sooner rather than later, I'm excited for Diablo as well. I'm curious if this is going to come to Game Pass. I don't have it in my notes right now if it does uh, come to Game Pass, but I am excited for it. Let me see. I'm just scrolling. I took a lot of handwritten notes as well. No one watching Xbox consoles, Diablo 4. Yeah, I don't have a Game Pass note next to it. So I don't think it's happening now, but you have to imagine as soon as they can make that happen they will and honestly for my money i bet it happens before it even comes out we, we find that out again an industry sh movement there an industry impacting announcement set to, to be partnering with xbox there 
Now, if Riot Games wasn't enough, if the Blizzard connection wasn't enough, the JRPGs arriving to Xbox were kind of the final, like, industry shift announcement sets that were in this showcase. And that was the fact that Persona 5 Royal, Persona 4 Golden, and Persona 3 Portable are going to be arriving to Xbox and Windows this fall, October 21st. They're all going to arrive. They're all going to arrive into Game Pass, be available on the Xbox Series devices, Xbox One, and PC. Guys, this is a really big deal. This is a huge anniversary for Persona. The Persona franchise is absolutely huge and has sold a lot of PlayStations. For God's sakes, Persona 4 Golden sold Vitas at one point. The Persona series is much beloved, so much so that they have characters into Smash. And while it's not, again, my personal taste, this is a huge deal that no longer is Atlas, a major JRPG company, no longer are they abstaining from Xbox or abstaining from Game Pass. And we have yet another example of Microsoft working their way into the Asian markets and to say, hey, we don't want to leave you out. We got Yakuza. We got Judgment. Now we're bringing in Persona. We've got Square Enix's um, Kingdom Hearts titles. And that, and by the way, Square Enix, absent from all of this, uh, that I think the writing's on the wall for them and PlayStation to be tying the knot soon. But really impressive and smart moves from a business decision here. And for them all to be going into Game Pass as well, that's big. That's big. You know, you've got the Riot stuff. Hey, Game Pass. You got Blizzard stuff, likely coming to Game Pass. You got JRPGs from Persona coming to Game Pass. Get in on that service is what they're they're trying to get people to do. Uh, in the absence of a lot of first party stuff that, for one reason or another, just wasn't going to happen in 2022. Let's talk a bit about that first party stuff. They did have a few things that are in 2022. Season seven of Sea of Thieves, which uh, brings a lot of fan-requested features like naming your ship and getting a captaincy thing. But I don't think that moves the needle for casual fans. For diehard Sea of, sea of Thieves players, yeah. Now, that's not enough to bring me back in full-time because I do love Sea of Thieves, but I'm just not into it at the moment. Uh, but it is a big deal for Sea of Thieves players, so they were jumping for joy at that one. Microsoft Flight Simulator, that's an ongoing title. It's got in insane Metacritic reviews. That just dropped the Maverick DLC, which is pretty timely, all things considered. Well, they've announced also that you are now able to, as of today, as of the time you're listening to this, you are able to fly a Pelican from Halo Infinite in Microsoft Flight Simulator, as well as helicopters uh, into the game. That seemed really cool. As a not interested in flight sim guy, it looked really cool. And every time I see flight sim stuff where they bring in Maverick or they bring in helicopters, they bring in the Pelican, I'm like, mm, do I want to dive in there? And I think I do. I think I do want to dive in. And the perk for flight sim as well is it's cloud playable, meaning you don't need to download it to your device. That seems kind of cool. Maybe I do just, you know, click cloud and go for flight sim and just try and fly a Pelican and see what it's like. Maybe I'll do that today after recording, actually. That might be something I try out. I don't know that I want to go fully in but we'll see how approachable it is um still pretty darn neat they started the show off with redfall and i thought redfall genuinely looked incredible i was a little lukewarm again like i was for a lot of this uh in first watching it but going back and seeing it in 4k redfall looks really cool uh quick quick aside not a single bit of morbius in redfall very upset by that Ugh, what a crossover it could have been but Redfall looked really dope. First person shooting, a lot of really cool abilities. I'm 
cautiously optimistic here. I'm worried that it's going to have the back for blood, left for dead syndrome because nothing's been able to capture left for dead for more than a few days or weeks at this point that, that like team-based coast, that squad go in and take down zombies or zombie-like creatures hasn't lasted for a lot of people back for bloods uh, community kind of seemed to fall off a little bit and hadn't been able to come back. I'm hoping Redfall doesn't suffer the same fate because the game looks beautiful and arcane is special. I felt like the moment I saw some of the abilities being thrown out by the characters, when I saw some of the stuff happening there, that's what would told me it would be different. It wasn't just a run and gun shooter. There's tactical gameplay. There's a campaign here. I'm excited for Redfall in a way that I wasn't prior to this showcase. I'm stoked to check this one out. I'm really anxious to see where it goes. I thought it looked beautiful, especially in going back and looking at the 4K trailers. Um, And I I think if you were trepidatious or you're a little cautious on it, uh, I think there's a reason to be really excited for Redfall. Uh, I now am in the camp that Redfall looks incredible. I don't know that I'm like dying for it, but I'm so I'm very excited to play it. I don't know if that's a weird line to walk, but I'm excited for Redfall. Let's just put it that way. The other thing that that made me stand on my head, get excited, was the announcement for the Forza 5 expansion. Hot Wheels is returning to the franchise. I loved the Hot Wheels expansion in Forza Horizon 3, and I could not be more thrilled to bring it back to Forza Horizon 5. I've been waiting to go back to Forza Horizon. I love that franchise, and with Hot Wheels arriving, I'm stoked on it, and I mean absolutely stoked to dive in on those tracks. I like the more arcadey stuff. We saw some incredible, incredible showcasing from Forza Motorsport. And guys, when I say incredible, I mean like that was an industry shift in graphics and ray tracing and environments. Um, I really think it's going to put Gran Turismo on its heels for those that are interested. And I'm really excited to watch the discussions and the breakdowns of it. But I'm not a Gran Turismo or Forza Motorsport player, right? I'll jump in, try it out. Cool car, drives fast, neat. I'm not a car guy, but I am a driving guy. I do like the arcadey elements of Forza Horizon. So for July 19th to be so close to jump into the Hot Wheels expansion, I'm stoked. That's what's going to bring me back to this new Horizon story. Uh, they've got you know five parts of, of a campaign in there. Really anxious to see what new cars they're going to bring in that are arcadey and fun. I think when you bring in Hot Wheels, you need to bring in some Batmobiles, some DeLoreans. You need to bring in some... Cars from Knight Rider, some fun Hot Wheels-esque type cars to kind of go side by side with it. And I'm curious what we get. Are there any cars that are going to be out of Xbox lore? Are we going to drive a ghost around? Are we going to see something from Gears of War that's drivable? You know, like, will they do something in that case? And I hope so. I hope the answer is yes. I've talked many times about wanting to, you know, ride through on a track through a Sea of Thieves battle or uh, get chased by a brumac and hot wheels might be a really cool way to get tracks uh, happening in there. I believe also there's a track editor, which is super cool, right? Um, bottom line, I, I'm a, that was for me, one of the most exciting things to see in this showcase was that hot wheels is returning. It's the first of at least two expansions to Forza horizon. So uh, cheers to that. Very excited for, for July 19th. That's a day one booting that up, playing that one for sure. Uh, let's see what other stuff kind of stood out. I, there were 30 plus games and I took notes. We got silk song hollow Knight silk song was the second thing they showed. And for that to be on an Xbox, uh, showcase, that is a very anticipated title. You would have expected that to be at a Nintendo showcase. Nope. 
here it was at Xbox. That's really, really cool uh, for sure. You've got uh, Arc 2, which was shown in there. Scorn, which is shown to be this year in October. Flintlock looked kind of cool. I was interested in that one for a little bit. Minecraft Legends, a game not really for me, but it was cool to see Minecraft continue to evolve. A lot of people really high on a title called As Dusk Falls. I could not have been more bored in watching that gameplay, but a lot of people are really excited for it. So if it's for you, write in and let me know why. Because it wasn't what I looked for in a video game, uh, but I but it looked like it was very well made, right? Like I was impressed by that element of it. Another one was The Last Case of Benedict Fox. I openly commented that I was bored and watching it because it's a game that looks like I'm going to play, but not one I wanted to see in a showcase. That one was shown during what I would call the lull of a 95-minute show that could have been, I think, 75 minutes. You could have trimmed and montaged a few of those things. Um, but The Last Case of Benedict Fox, a lot of people are really excited about it. It's very stylized, 2D platforming uh, to, to a point. I'm interested in playing it. I want to play it, but it wasn't blowing my socks off. Whereas a lot of people, like my good friend Mo, he was saying it is. Like, that's the game that he's super excited about. So, you know, cool. All right, neat. I'll check that one out. Pentiment fell super flat for me. This was one of the Xbox Game Studio titles that a lot of people were, like, super stoked to find out about. The moment I saw the art style, the 2D storytelling, that is, again, a game not for Luke Lore. That is not a game where I'm, you know, having a lot of action and, and uh, a really in-depth action-based story. This was a, a much more of a... a I don't know how to describe it without it sounding demeaning, so I'm going to actually abstain from doing so because the game looked like it's very well made. Um, but it just wasn't for me. Pentiment fell very flat for me. Very flat for me. Um, I think it was probably my least interesting note of the show, right? There was another game called uh, Naraka, which looked really cool. Uh, June 23rd is when that one comes out. I'm interested to see that one. That was another game where I think it was a, a like a battle royale, but it's like a melee combat game. Another game that felt very uh, intended to bring in an Asian audience. I don't know if that's true or not, but it kind of fell to me in that whole like Riot Games factor into the whole like we're trying to enter into the JRPG market. It's not a JRPG, but the aesthetic was such that it was trying to strengthen that that uh, that bond for Xbox that has been notoriously weak uh, as well. And then there was another one called Wo Long, which looks to kind of do the same thing. This was an action-based game that... Uh, has people that used to work on Bloodborne working on it, which looked really cool. They had Project Cocoon made by the people that made Limbo and Inside. Uh, Cocoon is a game that I think a lot of people are anticipating because of the pedigree of the people that made Limbo and Inside. And that's what's making them most excited. Really unique art style, bright and colorful, but uh, very bug inspired which was wild. I mean, it's fitting for the name, all things considered. I'll be curious to know kind of how that comes out. But people that loved in Limbo and Inside, I think you're going to be very excited with Cocoon. I loved Limbo. I really didn't enjoy Inside, and I think I'm in the minority there. Um, I was really in the minority for a lot of stuff with this show, and it's a very awkward feeling. It's like I feel left out uh, because it just wasn't like my types of games. But I don't know. I'm, I'm torn in that feeling because I can see the quality of this, this, this show, and I'm, I'm pretty high on it in that respect they did have a weird moment that makes sense but didn't quite fit the the theme of the show the theme of this show was gameplay they showed gameplay for almost every single game on display here but one that they didn't show gameplay of was they they discussed 
Hideo Kojima making an appearance at the Xbox showcase. Hideo Kojima was there. He filmed a video. He talked about his new game that he's making in conjunction with Microsoft and with their cloud technologies and with their how excited he is to be working with Xbox. And that's it. He just said, hey, I'm making something with Xbox. And then he was out. And that was really odd because the whole theme of the show was gameplay and it felt very out of place. Now, that said, there are very few people that you are willing to go out of your own theme for, and Hideo Kojima is one of them. When Kojima went to PlayStation to make Death Stranding, he was always clear that he wasn't anti-other platforms. He was just working with PlayStation to make the game he wanted to make. It looks like the same thing is happening here. He put out a funny tweet after the fact talking about uh, how he's still excited to work and continue working with PlayStation, and it felt very much like a, hey, mom and dad are fine. You know, like, we're okay, we, we still love each other type thing, or I still love both of them. But seeing Kojima there was a big win, I think, for, for Xbox and Microsoft overall. And then they ended the show with a very in-depth look at Starfield. And this in-depth look seems pretty divisive. And there's a lot of reasons for this. At first glance, it looks like a reskin for No Man's Sky, and I don't care what anybody says to me otherwise, there were a lot of elements that were very similar uh, to No Man's Sky on the surface level. Now, the further in-depth you look, you find that what you have is far more likely to be uh, very deep and in-depth storytelling and world-building in Starfield that you wouldn't get in any other title. This is a very Bethesda-like game. And it's essentially Skyrim in space, as they they suggested. And Todd Howard was there in his leather jacket and matching shoes, a lot of makeup, and showcasing this game. And I think you're going to get a super in-depth RPG. But on the surface level, there were a lot of things that were very similar to No Man's Sky. Your suit looks very similar to No Man's Sky. You are mining for resources at various points. You've got base building, ship building. You're scanning wildlife at various points. You can build your own ship. Uh, in a way that will suit your play style, build a squadron, build a fleet, uh, and explore the universe as such. There are a thousand planets that you can go visit, and it's unclear at the time of this recording whether or not those planets are procedurally generated or whether or not you're able to kind of go and and, and, uh, find something that's been pre-developed, pre-created, like that a a developer said, hey, we're going to make this type of planet. Uh, And we're going to put these things in there for you to discover. So I'm curious to know how that works out. The thing that I really liked about it was when they said when among the planets that you can explore are Goldilocks planets. Now, a Goldilocks planet is like planet Earth, where you've got multiple biomes uh, at various points throughout. It's not like Star Wars, where you've got a water planet, a sand planet, where you've got uh, a planet that's dedicated to just being frozen. This is a Goldilocks planet where you're going to have lots of different biomes on one planet planet and i'm really interested to see how that goes the funny thing is when i saw the combat it reminded me a little bit of old destiny like destiny one in some ways but in a good way everything about starfield looks good but it's difficult to describe without using other games and i think that's where i think some people are gonna kind of get the hang up there are some good no man's sky comparisons to be made there are some good uh shooting mechanic game comparisons to be made but that shouldn't be used to demean the excitement or the, or the quality that Starfield has. This looks like a game that is going to change, or I should let me rephrase, have an impact on gaming in the same way that Skyrim did. That's what it looks like it's going to have uh, on the gaming industry. And that's a high, high bar to set and an unfair precedent 
to compare it to, and yet it's one that they've embraced and they're tackling full on. I know it was delayed. I hope it was delayed for polish purposes. Bethesda games are notoriously buggy, and the whole meme about it bugs being a feature in Bethesda games that needs to go away now that they're under Microsoft's banner. And I hope it does. I want it gone. I want it. I want this game to come out, and I want it to really be the kicker for the reason that you need to have an Xbox. That's the thing. That's the the real thing that Microsoft needs. They can't control some of the things that are happening in the world with COVID, with chip shortages, with delays uh, based on the the war in Ukraine. They lost a lot of exclusives, but they did put on a showcase that had 30 plus titles within the next year. That's cool. That's impressive. And the promise of AAA titles coming into Game Pass must deliver in 2023. And unfortunately, it feels like we've said that before about 2022. It does feel like we've said that before. It feels like we keep saying the next episode, the next show, the next thing. But they're doing well. They are doing well. And, and credit due, credit where due, criticism where due. I really need Microsoft to, to nail it with its first-party AAA experiences in 2023. Of course, you're getting Redfall and Starfield. What else are you getting? I'm curious to know. We know everything for the next 12 months. But what about the fall of 2023? We don't know that. We don't know uh, the winter of 2023 prior to 2024 arriving. That's something I'm curious to see. So, all right, guys, I have talked a lot. I do need to make sure I answer some of your questions. This has been a long episode. I knew it would be packed. Uh, Stuart wrote in and said, how would you rate it? Uh, Stuart gave it a D or a C grade. He said, Redfall looks good. Diablo 4 and Forza, he was excited to see what Kojima brings. But the rest, he was not really all that interested in. He felt like he was too indie heavy. Stuart, I think if I had answered this question uh, right after, I would have said C. But upon reflection, good, strong B, B plus. Um, they had a lot of big stuff here. It just wasn't designed for Luke lore. Um, so so there you go there. Uh, Rune Trelvik wrote in. He was asking about Starfield. Oh, there's my dog saying hello. Rune says... Uh, Starfield looks like the most ambitious game ever made. How do you think that the sheer size of the game will affect the actual storytelling of the game, positive or negative? Rune, I have the same worries myself about the size. When I hear a thousand planets to explore, I get nervous. I don't actually like that. I want a more curated response. But, but that's not, we don't know. Proof is in the pudding, right? Um, I think ambition is exciting but maybe we have a witcher 3 problem where the game is so big that most people miss out on a lot of its experiences uh but that's a, a wait and see for sure good question though matt kennedy writes in he says i think the show is a passing grade for sure but not with flying colors starfield is still what has me most excited but most of the big releases for the year uh still just said this year but no definitive date are we as gamers okay with that uh matt I'm okay with it, but I understand your question, and I, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm not great with it, right? I don't want a release date if it's just going to get delayed, and everything is getting delayed right now for one reason or another. So to that effect, yeah, like I'm okay with it for that reason, but I agree. It's frustrating when you've got this major mega corporation like Microsoft with all their monies and all their uh, developers under their umbrella and the talent that they're bringing in and the, the culture they're trying to push through. And then not getting dates. That's tough. But we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't say, we cannot say that, hey, we want developers to take their time and then get mad when they don't give us a date. 
we can't say that we want Microsoft to treat its developers right uh, and not kill them and and grind them to, to, to nothing and then be upset when we don't get a date, right? We can't have it both ways. We can't have it both ways. There are some apt frustrations with certain games like Halo Infinite and its content production. The game itself, great. The content, too slow. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough call, but I think as gamers, we have to be okay with it if we're going to be preaching that we don't want devs to crunch and we want them to take their time and want the health of the developers to be primary. But no doubt, it's frustrating. That said, guys, I mean, there's there's so much to play, right? There's so much to play. My man Todd Oxter wrote in. He said, solid show, but no big fall exclusives or megatons. Agreed. Uh, I think they showed us to be a lot to be excited for for 2023, but no major AAA day and date in 2022. A lot of the rumors didn't materialize. Uh, Todd's probably talking about like Golden Eyes, probably talking about uh, Banjo-Kazooie or whatever else. He then asks, did they need one big exclusive or day and date game to make 2022 feel like a big win? Todd, maybe they did, but 2022 has been a big win anyway for them. It's just not, I, I think they had the big win, right? Day and date may not be the case, but bringing Persona in to Game Pass in October on its anniversary, that's a big win, right? Uh, bringing all the Riot games to Game Pass and PC, that's a big win. I think the Overwatch connection is a big win. I think you know plague tale big win silk song big win um, they've got some big wins there next to the fact that they're handling the chip shortage far better than sony and nintendo so they're having their wins but i agree it's it's a lack of a triple a big this is xbox game studios this year boom uh but i think knowing that they had to delay their two big ones and then you got stalker delayed and you had somerville delayed i mean it makes sense you know like it makes sense it makes sense, but it doesn't feel doesn't feel the same, which I'll I'll grant you all day long for sure. For sure. All right, guys. We could keep going forever. There's so much to discuss here in this one, and I'm sure I'll be joining a few other podcasts at various points. But if I missed something from the showcase, please reach out to me, insipidghost at gmail.com or tweet me at insipidghost and let me know what I missed or what I should be thinking about that I haven't so far. Uh, I'm gonna send you now to an interview with Yannick Belziel of of tribute games to discuss shredder's revenge sat down with him this was an absolute pleasure again if you missed it earlier i've been playing shredder's revenge i have a lot of very positive thoughts on it i have a few critiques here and there but i can't talk about any of those until the next episode but yannick and i go pretty in depth we go pretty in depth with it i think ninja turtle fans are gonna love this one uh if you hear the interview it would mean the world to me if you would tweet out to tribute and to uh emu and let them know that you heard about it that you're excited for the game that's what helps xcp the most guys it's reviews and it's tweeting developers and pr people and saying hey i heard about this game on the xbox expansion pass i'm checking it out because of the xbox expansion pass that helps me get the next interview get the bigger stuff i've got a red out two interview that i'm holding right now i'm looking to chat with a few other people but shredder's revenge was a big win and i'm really excited for it i've got a few other names that i'm trying to connect with but it helps me the most when you let other people know about my show and know that you appreciate it and found games through me. As an interview show, that's the tough part, right? That's that's my grind. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for those of you that joined me for the ride for sure. All right, that's it for me, guys. Enjoy the interview. Have an amazing week. Take care. 
Listeners, we are very fortunate now to welcome Yannick Belzeal, narrative designer at Tribute Games, here with us to spotlight TMNT Shredder's Revenge. Yannick, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Luke. I am so excited to have you here. Shredder's Revenge is among my most anticipated games of the year. It is on our doorstep. Hint, listeners, I've been playing it, which is pretty darn cool. Now, Yannick, Shredder's Revenge, it was designed to be both a love letter to fans of the 87 TV show as well as the classic games of yore. Uh, What was the vision that you guys set out with in the beginning to cover both of those or just one? How How did it start? Um... I feel like my answer is uh, in your question in a way you might uh, you might not have thought of is that yes it's a love letter but um, to the the old cartoons and to the fans but uh, we were fans first like uh, I am a, a very spry uh, forty two years old and uh, a lot of our team is in close of that same age range so uh, we came of age when Turtle Mania exploded. And uh, in that explosion, then there's uh, there was uh, video games, uh, uh, comics, toys, and cartoons. But the video games were really uh, near and dear to us. And, uh, you know, even back then, like, this is less common now, but back then, um, good games based on franchises, like, that was uh, a bit more rare. Like, I don't know if you ever like hopefully rented like a back to the future game uh, at a video mm-hmm. store <laughs> when you were a kid because it's your favorite movie and then you play it and it's it's real rough but uh the turtles like were really lucky in that they got like really uh, specific exciting games especially like in the in the beat em up department so like we i think that we would have liked those games purely as beat em up anyways but we love the turtles we love the cartoons so they really stayed with us and uh, for all of us attribute games like it was sort of a career goal to get to do uh hopefully like a turtle a turtle game one day like a bunch of our team uh worked on the 2007 uh uh game boy advance game of tmnt like the one based on the animated movie but Mm -hmm. uh as much and it's a really great game but they were like on game boy advance you don't really have multiplayer and you feel that you need like that multiplayer uh component to have like a true tmnt experience so um some people in the team like were like, oh, we we got to get a second chance to it. And also, like uh, we are an independent studio. And one thing we always prided ourselves on was to create our own uh, characters and worlds. But uh, one of our co-founders always said, like, there's two things that we could not say no to. And one of them is uh, TMNT and the other would be Mega Man. So uh, the... The stars aligned that we could not only get to do like a TMNT game, but a 1987 cartoon TMNT game, which was like, I guess, the most iconic versions of the turtle for our childhood and for a lot of people at large. So we got really, really excited about doing that. But in being excited about making that game, we were also like very diligent into making a really, really good um, beat them up because we love the genre. And I guess you don't want uh, a weaker game with the turtles, uh, uh, with the turtles next to our own name. So we really wanted to make it good and we really wanted to honor the character. 
Well, it certainly feels as though you've done just that. A lot of the preview coverage seems to capture a lot of the magic of the games of old and the cartoon. Uh, One of the things that Tribute does well is is capture art styles very well. One of my favorite games from you guys, uh, Mercenary Kings, love that art style. Loving what I'm seeing from Shredder's Revenge in terms of art style. In order to capture that, uh, what kind of research did you guys do? Did you go back and play the old TMNT games? Did you go back and watch the shows? How did you guys kind of come down on getting that style of, of old, but also uh, allowing it to be modern as well? Uh, one of the uh, well, first, thanks for your nice compliments. Uh, we're really happy that people seem to be enjoying the game so far, uh, even in their pre- in its preview state, which was uh, just two levels uh, for uh, a lot of players. Um, one of the thing, like first, like. We sort of done all the research when we were 10 years old, but uh, <laughs> we did uh, get back to uh, do our proper homework, which was uh, playing uh, the old game, especially like uh, the, the, the Konami versions. So we played all of those. Uh, I went back to watch a whole bunch of episodes. Uh, I know that some people in the team like watch like three or four seasons all the way through. Me, I just went into different types of episodes uh, depending on like what bosses we were using for the game and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of that homework and it was really important for us like to... Because um, one thing we want to do it, with the game is that um, we want it to feel the way you remember playing the game, but actually playing the game, like you see some of the shortcomings, like maybe uh, some were technological for the time. Others, uh, there's like gameplay that's uh, less um, forgiving because uh, like one of the things that you you realize is um, some of the games were meant to be arcade games and arcade games uh, rule, but they're also meant to uh, separate you from your quarters. Mm-hmm. So it's finding a way to make these uh, um, these mechanics uh, more forgiving and uh, more fun to play or maybe remove some of the frustrations uh, and make it more player fl- new player friendly, yes. On the note of difficulty, I've been playing a bit of the game solo and you guys just announced that not one, not four, but six players can play at one time. How There's a lot to unpack with the idea of six-player co-op. But how does the difficulty change when you put more players on screen? Of course, you guys have difficulty settings. But when you put more players on screen, how does the game change? Um, the game changes from a, uh, on the difficulty uh, axis and the player axis is that... Um, uh, foot, the the the, um, the enemy waves uh, will be uh, different. They're they're gonna be like more plentiful. There's gonna be more uh, more enemies. And on the, the difficulty side, like uh, the enemy HP uh, goes up or down depending on uh, the, the difficulty setting. So these are the two the two things. And uh, if I remember uh, my uh, my cursory reading of the game design document uh, <laughs> clearly. Uh, because I'm, I write stories, but I don't always get into the the actual guts of designing the the game like that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the foot soldier AI is more aggressive uh, as the uh, foot as the difficulty rises, but otherwise it's all like wave based. Like it's something that uh, I just sort of uh, realized during the interview is that 
during one of the other interviews that we had made is that uh, our game designer, Fred, uh, would tell us that, oh, well, it's all based on patterns and waves of enemies. It's like it's like a shooter game. It's the, so we I realized that maybe the, the the original arcade game are sort of like the Konami classic Gradius, in which you're a small ship like shooting at waves of oncoming uh, uh, alien ships. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really like by designing those waves that you uh, you you sort of shape difficulty, but also like game rhythm, and uh, it allows for uh, the game to have a proper difficulty level, but also feel less repetitive so that we have more of a rhythm and uh, ebbs and flows. Well, if you're trying to create that rhythm, you have to factor the story in as well. And given that you're the narrative designer, you had to probably take steps in order to uh, allow different bosses to show up at different times and to to see the turtles going in certain places. Uh, What was your process in creating the story for Shredder's Revenge? Uh, oh yeah, um, for creating the story, like it's, um, it there was a really um, a mechanical aspect because um, a lot of the of the work has been already done for me in, in a sense because thanks to the cartoons and uh, um, it's such a large world of ex- of of, uh, of continuity for the turtles, um, I already know. Um, how the turtles would feel like, how they are at, uh, like characters, uh, their villains, their identity. So a lot of creating the world uh, is has been thought of uh, for me. And there's a certain notion of rhythm that is already there from uh, the the arcade games. Like uh, it's pretty quick. You go through levels. Uh, you beat up uh, a boss, and in between levels, there is like one image like one vignette like so you already know that you're not gonna have uh big uh dialogue exchanges uh or big uh, intensive cutscenes like that so then uh, my work is to figure out like uh our story which again in in a beat em up in that formula of beat em up has to be pretty simple the way i see it is i'm constantly writing long fight scenes or long chase scenes so you just put uh, 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 obstacles in the way of the turtles, in the way of the players. And then around that is how to communicate it through levels. So it's having little cutscenes where the villains act out. So it creates a little narrative uh, during a level. So a level becomes its own uh, tiny episode. One thing that I would do uh, is that uh, when it's time to create a level... Um, I'll be told, um, like I have a, a list from the creative director, like, oh, we have this number of levels and there are these settings and it's going to be that boss for each setting. So then I come up with, um, so then what I come up with is finding ideas. Like, let's say um, we have like sort of a, a, a New York City rooftop level, like, which is like, you see the turtles like run around and jump around on rooftops in the cartoon intro. Uh, like the first uh, comic book cover of the turtles is them on a rooftop. So you're like, oh, what's the the idea for the level? So at first I was like, let's not just make it rooftops. Let's make it that they um, they run around a couple of rooftops and then they hop on 
uh, an elevator because, you know, the beat-em-ups have these elevator type of segments in their levels. And then as we reach, as the level, the elevator goes up, then you would have uh, uh, the building looks less and less constructed. And then you're on a rooftop of an elevator that is uh, of a building that is still in construction. So that changes uh, how it looks like. And because I know that on the next level, it's going to be a chase scene with Wingnut, then it means that I know that Wingnut will, will be showing up at the end of this level. And then it I know that the bus arena will be like an open sky place with construction equipment. So I sort of reverse engineer a whole bunch of ideas like that. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, do some... Uh, um, I reverse engineer a big part of the level like that, and then I uh, find a whole bunch of visuals for these suggestions. I give them to the artist. I uh, write up a couple of cutscenes, and uh, I see what's doable for, from uh, from them on their end. So that's how I create or construct a level, uh, and then um, I do that like as many number of levels I need, and you go from there. That's super cool. That is super cool. And like you said, you have a lot to play with in that world. Uh, and that's super exciting there. Uh, one of the things that I want to point listeners to as they discover the game and check it out mm-hmm. is the incredible amount of detail, both written and kind of just subtly put in there by designers. Uh, you'll see foot soldiers that are participating in things in the levels, like like reading newspapers. You'll see Easter eggs of all sorts for Turtles fans. Uh, but also something I thought was really cool that you guys did was put in little side quests and challenges that go back to the to the old school show. Like we're seeing obscure, maybe not obscure, but but supporting characters like Irma and Vernon uh, fr- from their work give you little challenges to do. That had to be fun to create. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, again, like we really wanted to like include all of the most the, the supporting cast from the cartoon uh, inside the, the game and it felt like the best way to uh, bring them in in a beat them up format without like having them being fighters so it was really fun like um one thing that it became really clear to me as i rewatched the show is that sometimes like as an action adventure show it's not always super strong, but as a comedy show, uh, it's really, really funny, especially the vocal performances. And uh, the vocal performances like create like 85% of the character. And that the, the and that made it easy to uh, create the characters uh in a beat em up format like to give them a lot of uh, uh personality because the cartoon like did so much of the lifting for us there so so it's easy to bring in vernon or burn and just give you like a, a good uh a good drop of their personality like just in an exchange because the cartoon is so strong with that and it was just really like fun to plug inside the game and also it was a way to like to differentiate, uh, make a difference between like the arcade and the story mode, and try to figure out you know th- these little tidbits that will get people uh, to replay the game. That's super cool, and I, I have to note that uh, as you're going through and doing these little side quests, you're also doing different challenges that have to help with replayability. Not only are you discovering items, but 
each level comes with challenges that uh, give you something to strive for. Yeah, it's another way, like, as, uh, uh, again, like, once you know you're not working in the arcade uh, idiom, like, you're like, oh, we have to give challenges uh, to um, play with uh the skill uh, the the skill level of the of the players and especially like all the different types of uh, moves that we can do in the game like i feel like uh, you can get away with just button mashing but if you decide to uh press pause and look at uh, all the the moves you can try out suddenly you see that there's a lot of variety and with that variety like there are challenges there you know doing a lot of juggles uh being use the the evade maneuver pretty well um it's just a way to add uh again uh, a bit of modern rep uh, replayability but also hoping that the players will discover the other moves in the game what can you tell me about the overworld and like the the map that we traverse? It it seems reminiscent of the very first NES game. Were you guys going for that? Is that coincidental? Uh, we were definitely going for that. Um, we uh, we among on our 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 team, like there's people who are just gonna jump at any chance of doing chibi versions of any characters and drawing these teeny tiny buildings in, a, in the cutest way possible. Like they're always up for that. But also uh, we like it. Uh, it's a good way also to show that story mode is different from arcade mode. And it just makes story mode more manageable because then you see, oh, I found uh, this character there or, oh, there's this other uh, challenge I can do there. Like it's... Of course, the, the map is a lot of fun and reminiscent of uh, the first uh, Turtles game, but it's also a good way to visualize uh, the story mode aspect. Super cool. Super cool. Now, you guys just announced this past, uh, well, at the time of this recording, just yesterday at Summer Game Fest, that you are now hitting six playable characters with Casey Jones joining the four Turtles, April O'Neil, and Splinter. Uh, I... I have to know that how exciting was that to get that six player local co-op and have all those playable characters out there. It's super exciting. Um, we first, uh, the, the, mo the most exciting thing is that uh, mostly none of that has had been leaked. So uh, that was really, that was like, sometimes uh, we have some partners or some bit of info comes out of somewhere and the, Suddenly, like maybe uh, there's going to be people will know that when's the date or maybe there's going to be six players. But uh, um, Casey Jones was uh, unknown by most of everyone. So uh, bringing out that surprise was uh, really thrilling. But also like we're really happy that um, we made it work. And seeing that there's something really special about I feel like the, the Turtles as a beat em up is that there are many ways to adapt characters in video game format, but I think that the Turtles, it's especially fitting to be able to uh, play as a gang, uh, as a group of friends. Uh, uh, it, I feel like you really embody the Turtles when all of you are linking up and playing together and going to fight the Foot Clan because that's what the Turtles would do. So bringing a six-player uh, mode like was really uh, exciting for us and seeing the reaction of people being even more thrilled that they'll be able to play uh, 
as a friend, as a family or a group of friends, uh, we're really happy with that that we made it work and that people are reacting so strongly. Same thing with Casey Jones. I mean, ever since we uh, announced the game, people were asking for for Casey Jones, and we had to bite our lips and just say, mm, maybe, maybe if you get to do DLC, maybe he's gonna be there someday. We don't know, and. Mm. Uh, uh, when we uh, announced April and Splinter as playable characters, then that became even more of a thing that people were like, oh, maybe there's going to be a Casey Jones DLC. Uh, can we ever get Casey Jones? What about Casey Jones? So finally uh, being able to like uh, announce it, that was really cool. Um, same thing about seeing, like creating Casey as a playable character. Same thing for April and Splinter, but uh, working with the... Uh, with the artists, like we're really lucky because uh, uh, one fun, one good advantage that we were making this game during the pandemic is that we were all together on Discord, and um, so we'd had shared uh, shared channels, and you, you would see like animations coming from the artists, but everyone in the company like would offer their suggestions. So sometimes when an animator was like, oh, what should Casey's uh, taunt move uh, would should be like? And so everyone throws their suggestions. Uh, they pick the best ones. So everyone got together somehow to make the characters and seeing them being uh, built from the ground up because they have something special because you can't, you couldn't really play these. I, I, I feel like one of the later beat em ups not based on the 87 version has Casey Jones as a as a character but in the like arcade style Konami style that we're building up from from the the old arcade games like you could never play as anyone else but the turtle so creating those characters was really special and uh we were happy to bring uh Casey at the end so cool so exciting now you mentioned, and I'm going to jump on this one, you mentioned the idea of like Casey Jones DLC at one point. Uh, was it ever thought that you guys would bring him in after launch, uh, bringing them in later on? Or did you were, did you guys have the vision of it being a launch uh, aspect? Oh, he was always going to be on launch. He was planned out since the beginning. Uh, again, because we're such big fans, um, it was always thought of... Uh, like our ideal roster was all the of these characters for the, starting the game with. In fact, I, something I can mention is that Casey Jones, you is unlocked once you finish the game once. So mm -hmm. he's not there as you start a game. You have to finish a game once and then he's unlockable. Very but, cool. Okay. Uh, um, uh, th th that's why he doesn't appear in the, in the cutscenes while you play, but he appears in the ending. And uh, um, so, yeah, that was really, really exciting. And but we had not planned him for a later launch. No, he was always uh, being present at launch. Uh, as for DLC, it's not. Uh, it's we're, we just finished the game, uh, but uh, a lot of us, I think, we would love to keep doing stuff with the turtles. But so far, it's not uh, in our hands. That's up to uh, the good people at Nickelodeon uh, if they want us to make more. Uh, I think we'd love to uh, make more, so we'll see. Um, it's gonna be the, it's gonna depend on the reception, uh, but so far it looks like it's gonna be positive. So let, let's so let's cross our fingers. The reception is gonna be positive. I'll tell you that right now, and I'll tell every listener. Uh, the game's of course in Game Pass, and you can be able to play it in a number of places. The reception is gonna be positive, Yannick. It's it's an, it's an absolute blast. I uh, I am curious though if. 
if there were ever a there was ever a chance for like alternative costumes there's a lot of ripe history for the turtles that are in different outfits and disguises was that ever something that was on the table and you know on the idea of dlc uh do you guys have ideas for dlc if you guys ever could or wanted to do it uh for alternate costumes it's really uh it was not thought of uh, during production because uh, one we're very proud of our animations and the animations are really detailed and they're filled with character mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's because like it takes a long time to give like tur- each turtles has their own moves and their own way of moving and uh, reactions so uh, they're they're really uh, bespoke in a way like they're really um, uh, uh, animated with minute details which means that Making them takes a long time. It really takes a long time to uh, give them all the all these different moves and uh, attitudes. So it made it that creating a playable character when not even taking in part of the balancing and actual game design aspect of it, just producing the animations, uh, that takes a couple of months, maybe even more than that. So it's a lot of work. So bringing alternate costumes or different looks like uh i always thought it'd be cool if the turtles could be in uh in trench coats and hats the way they were incognito in the old cartoons but that's exactly what i was thinking about but again that would take a whole lot of time and especially with our animators like they'd want the trench coat to be flowing and you'd want it to be dynamic and look good as a, and because, you know, in a fighting game, like the, the pauses have to be really crisp and readable because they go, they go by so fast. So, um, it's not a possibility given the amount of work, uh, that goes in that. I feel like, if we were if we had like that amount of resources available to us we'd probably work on uh, a newer playable character rather than create an alternate skin for uh, a character we already have gotcha very cool now yannick you you of course work for tribute games but shredder's revenge was developed as a joint effort with uh Datimu, Datimu, mm-hmm. Datimu. And the first thing I want to know is how do you pronounce their name? I've never heard it. <laughs> how do you, pr- I know the, I know the developer, but how do you pronounce it? It's really, it depends, it depends on uh, whoever uh, says it, uh, what language, language you speak. Uh, you might have noticed that I am uh, francophone. So for us, it's Datimu. Uh, but a lot of people say Datimu, uh, Datimu. Um, uh, so Dotemu, I think, is uh, fine. However, you feel it's the best uh, pronunciation uh, works for you. Uh, I think it's a, it, it's a Rorschach uh, test for your own language. <laughs> uh, okay, fair. Then I feel a little less guilty. Uh, but tell me what it was like working as part of a joint effort. What's the the day to day like when you're working with another company to produce a game like this? Uh, it's really good because. Uh, uh, first, they also published uh, Streets of Rage 4. So mm-hmm. one of the big things is that they have uh, uh, up-to-date current uh, 2020 uh, beat-em-up experience. Mm-hmm. So they've already done like a modern version of that type of, um, of that type of game. 
Uh, Streets of Rage is more methodical than Turtles. It's less about crowd control than Turtles. But uh, again, like they, they've already worked in that genre, so they know what the players want and they know what they want. So we have their expertise for that. But there's also the the fact of like when we're we're making the game, sometimes we just get we don't see uh, uh, the forest for the trees anymore. We just get like tunnel vision and concentrate on one aspect. So it's always good to have someone uh, on the outside or in another continent uh, to come in and say, oh, uh, this part needs work. This part is not as quick or exciting as it could be, or you need a little more pizzazz there. So they've been really uh, helpful as uh, outside eyes but also their expertise as a publisher, like how to market the game and how to make it sure that people talk about it and know about it. Uh, they have such an amazing uh, know-how in that aspect uh, that they've been really, really, really helpful. The game was not... Uh, I, the game is great and they have a big part of that in there because they helped us to get it along the way. Very cool. Very cool. Now... Uh, I think it's fair to say this feels like it's the summer of the turtles, given that we have Shredder's Revenge and also the Cowabunga Collection, mm -hmm. uh, which brings together so many of the games that uh, likely built your childhood. You know, you talk about the research being done when you were 10 years old. Uh, have you had a chance to play any of the Cowabunga Collection? Is that something you got? Did you ever work with Digital Eclipse or uh, Konami in, in checking out the game, given that you're both working on turtle stuff? Uh, no, in fact, I can say that uh, the the existence of the Cowabunga collection was a complete uh, surprise to me and a couple of us at Tribute. Like one of uh, some of our higher ups uh, had sort of heard about it, but uh, they didn't know if it was going to happen or not. But uh, we just heard about uh, at the same time as uh, everyone else that uh, these games were uh, being uh, reissued and. Uh, I think that's great because, I mean, we owe a lot to these games and it's cool that they're going to be available in a like in a legal, uh, accessible way to play them because they're classics. They're great. Um, tournament fighters always ex existed in the shadow of the bigger uh, fighting games of its time, but it's a lot of fun. The sprites are great. So I, I think it's cool that people will get to play some tournament fighters. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of games in there that I'm really excited to go back to. Uh, and it was funny, as I was thinking about it, I was not sure, you know, which I wanted to play first, Shredder's Revenge or the Cowabunga Collection. Uh, and thankfully, you know, out of my hands, I knew I was going to play whatever came first. Mm -hmm. But there's just so much goodness there for fans of Turtles, for fans of Brawlers, and to your point, to get a chance to check out some of the lesser known but still high quality Ninja Turtle games. I think that's going to be really neat uh, for players. Given that so many players are going to have their hands on it, this game's coming to all platforms. I'm talking about mm -hmm. Shredder's Revenge now. Uh, it was also announced uh, just yesterday that the game is coming to Xbox Game Pass. Yes. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, again, these types of uh, deals, like I, I'm only the writer, so I sometimes I know uh, about these things uh, uh, last, but I've known this for a while and I got pretty excited. I mean... Um, as an indie game developer, I'm always happy when there's when you get a shortcut for your game to get on into people's hands. 
because that helps with the development. And sometimes, like, one of the great things, uh, there are many great things about working with the turtles, but uh, given that the turtles are already known and people go towards the turtles. So maybe... Uh, the turtles did not need that extra jump to uh, get into people's hands, uh, but uh, I'm glad that um, someone who might not know about the turtles or is curious, but maybe, you know, some people, they're like, eh, pixel art, not sure about this, but they'll try it if it because of the game pass. And uh, I'm really thrilled about that. Like, it's going to get us in a couple of uh, players' homes that might have not checked it out otherwise. And to me, that's the extremely cool thing about uh, a service like Game Pass. Like uh, uh, we've been uh, lucky to uh, uh, to be uh, in these types of deals before with our previous titles, and uh, to get a peek behind the curtain. Like they're really helpful for indie developers. They're great op- opportunities for indie developers for to get the games into uh, new hands. So uh, I'm thrilled about that. I am equally thrilled. And I think a lot of people from our generation, yours and mine, uh, are going to get a chance to take advantage of Game Pass and sitting on the couch with their kiddos uh, this game, for anyone that doesn't know, is you can play it 100% local. You can play all six players couch co-op. Uh, that has to be just the coolest feeling, knowing that you can bring more people into just a beloved genre and a beloved franchise. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, uh, there, there's a French expression that translates as uh, uh, adding your own stone to the church, which is basically like you help to build up a, a, a bit uh, uh, of a monument and I feel like that's something we're doing with the game like we're uh, giving back to a, a, a to characters and a genre, a genre that meant a lot to us as a kid uh, but also like the fact that there are different difficulty levels and I had a, the game is accessible to a younger player so for me and for all the team it's exciting that a kid might play uh, that might be a kid's first beat em up and it also might be the first beat up he can play like with his mom or dad. And that's really sweet. Very cool. Now, Yannick, I have some hard-hitting final questions for you. Sure. These are probably the toughest. Sure. Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle? And separate question, who's your favorite character to play as in Shredder's Revenge? Um, as a kid, my favorite turtle was Raphael. But as an adult, you just see the value and importance of uh, Leonardo. Mm-hmm. Because you... Things needs to be organized. Like you need to do your ninja training, or else you won't be able to fight the Foot Clan. Like someone has to keep uh, the trains running. Some someone has to keep uh, the working the the training schedules up. And uh, Leonardo is necessary. Like you think he's annoying when you were a kid, but as an adult, like no, he's just responsible, and that's important. Uh, as for the game, uh, I love playing with April. Uh, I love the quickness and the easy juggle combo uh, fighting that uh, April uh, brings to the game. Like when we de- demoed the game at PAX, like, and I would play with other players or other media people, like, I would end up like uh, picking April a lot. So it's April, uh, Raph, and Michelangelo because I'm a big quick uh, hitting juggling type of uh, of player in my beat em ups 
Very cool. Very cool. Now, something I neglected to mention earlier on is the original voice cast is back. Yes. Uh, did you get a chance to interact with them at all? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, on top of writing a whole bunch of lines for them, I got to be present in the sort of recording room uh, Zoom session uh, to record their bits. And it was uh, one of the great thrills of my life, uh, of my professional career, because that cartoon meant so much for me as a kid. And uh, like a lot of our work uh, on the game, the way the turtles are animated and sort of the 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 charm that these characters have and we give them we were able to give them like comes a lot from the vocal performances that these guys did so many years ago so uh when we were making the game we were like we couldn't count on having any voice acting because we're like like you never know like you might have only record like pain grunts and maybe like a cowabunga to end levels but then we we heard like oh we're gonna get voice acting and then we got from .mu like oh we're gonna getting the four turtles and uh cam clark and barry gordon are also the voices of bebop and rocksteady who are great like funny characters so like oh i get to write good dumb bebop and rocksteady lines which was a treat and then it was just like uh, uh, seeing them perform and just telling them telling them they're brilliant, which it, it was like I had my own private Comic-Con panel where uh, I got to see them recite a whole bunch of lines I wrote and then see them uh, and tell them they're great. Uh, it was a, a real delight. That is so cool. That's so cool. You got to be in there and listen and write for the OG actors. That's so exciting. Yes. And also one thing I can add, like we were really proud about the game, but there's something that feels, I feel like we, we got knighted or something by having their voices uh, in the game. Like it feels more legit in a sense because it was based on their turtles and now it has their voices. So and there was really like something exciting for my uh, fan brain because like uh, when you enter uh, the second level, uh, you see that foot soldiers have stolen uh, the wheels of the the turtle van. And yep. <laughs> but in as a toy, it's called the party wagon. In the cartoon, it's never called the party wagon. It's just called the turtle van. But having I quote unquote the real Donatello saying, "Oh no, they broke the party wagon." I was like, "Oh, I'm getting party wagon into the cartoon canon somehow." Like, <laughs> same thing. Like some of their moves, uh, um, when they perform some of their moves, like they they they, they shout out uh, 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 move names from uh, tournament fighters which are, I think they're only written in the booklet. They don't appear in the game, I think. But the fact that uh, uh, Raphael says Psy Cyclone, which is from the, the Tournament Fighters booklet, but now the real Raphael says it's like, it's canon somehow. Yeah. And uh, that kind of uh, uh, extremely silly stuff uh, really excited me. You're making canon, dude. You're yeah. making canon. You're making Ninja Turtles lore that will live on to the next generation. That's got to be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's great. It's great. It's uh, it's all uh, downhill from here, but I'm enjoying the view right now, and that's amazing. 
Very cool. Well, uh, Yannick, uh, I don't want to take any more of your time, but I do have to say thank you so much for helping gamers play games. Uh, I hope that you are able to enjoy the ride and see uh, many people as this game goes uh, public on the 16th of June. You're able to see reactions. I hope you're in that social media space. Is there anywhere mm-hmm. you would like to plug uh, or anything you would like to point players to? Ah uh, well, uh, the tribute game socials like on uh, Twitter and on Instagram, uh, we have uh, an official uh, um, Discord channel on our uh, a Shredder's Revenge channel on our Discord. Uh, there's an official uh, Shredder's Revenge um, server as well if you're on Discord. So uh, sometimes I hang around there and answer questions about the game and making a game uh, if it. It doesn't break my NDA, so uh, but uh, so yeah. To keep in touch with all the future uh, tribute projects, whether they're turtle related or not, and uh, if not, you can follow me. Uh, you can follow with uh, tribute uh, at tribute games on the socials and myself at Yannick Belzil on Twitter and Instagram. 